Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Climbing the Pocket Mondays. We are going to be talking about this 3-5 and five Minnesota Vikings team. And we are going to be talking logical issues, at rational frustrations, and we are going to have some rants here tonight. Stick around as we turn your Monday purple. The show features Tyler Fornis and Deshaun Vaughn as they talk your Minnesota Vikings with you, the fans. You are looking live in the words of the great Brent Musburger. I am Tyler Fornis. With me is my co-host, Sean Vaughn, and producer Dave in the truck. Uh, we are going to have some fun here this evening talking Minnesota Vikings, and we're going to talk some not-so-fun things about this 3-5 uh, and five Minnesota Vikings team as well. Deshaun, I know we're experiencing a little bit of lag issues right now, but you're about to dropkick your router and hopefully get that fixed. How are you doing today? I'm not doing as bad, man. I went to the game. It was a fun time. Fun time at the game. But unfortunately, we lost. I actually took a picture when we were up 17-3, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to enjoy this while we while we have it. And then we ended up losing. <laughs> so, I mean... It was a fun time, great time at the game. I don't feel – I kind of gotten to the point where I don't really feel, like, super bad about these losses anymore because it's, like, the same thing every single week. We lose the exact same way, which is, like, impossible. I don't get it. But um, we saw some good things, saw some bad things, and I'm um, excited to get into it. Absolutely. And, you know, let's kind of talk about your experience in the stadium. Uh, obviously, uh, most I, – I, am I the only one who's been to U.S. Bank, or have you guys gotten a chance to go yet? No, I have not been there, there. but okay. this was in well, Baltimore. I, yep. I recommend. Well, I, I kind of wanted to use it as a contrast and compare situation because I was very interested in what the atmosphere was like in Baltimore, Deshaun. It's loud, man. That stadium is loud. Uh, I was actually pretty surprised at the amount of Vikings fans that I did see there. That was a good bit, but. Like, so there's um, the little decibel thing on the screen. I think they got up to, what, like 200, not 200. They got up to, like, 130 on third downs or something. And you saw it affected the Vikings. Like, it was the one series when they had that false start. Um, but the stadium was quiet at first because we had the one third down to Jefferson where we scored. Everybody kind of shut up after that one. And then they had Dalvin Cook's, like, 60-yard run on a third down. And everybody was kind of quiet after that one, too. And then you had Kine Wangu's kick return. It was silent after that one. It was People were giving me dirty looks. They did not like that I was up cheering for that one. Because it was right after – I had just got back from using the bathroom. And, like, nobody was in their seats. And then I, I come back from the thing, and Wangu's just flying down the field. And then it looks like he's going to get caught. And then he just does it. So I'm just sitting there clapping and I'm like, I'm loud too. Like I'm screaming at like everybody. So it was great. But then the Ravens started to come back and the stadium got loud. When they when Deborah du- Duvernay caught that pass, man, it's like like almost burst at an eardrum. It was it's great atmosphere there. Uh nobody was too like disrespectful or anything like that. I will say the seating sucks. <laughs> like those seats are so small. Like I'm like shoulder to shoulder with the person next to me. So, but other than that, great experience. Lots of people. It was fun to get back into a stadium and watch some football. I had great seats. I was able to see everything. I was uh east, west east end zone. I think uh, visitor side. So great. I was able to see the players. Um, sad. It was. Oh my god. It was so sad at the end. Um, Anthony Barr. Anthony Barr did not look happy coming off the field. Man, he after the offense. 
after they after uh, the Ravens scored, Anthony Barr just kind of walked off, had his helmet on still, and was just kind of like whatever. Uh, Rick Spielman, I could see Rick Spielman from my seat, and man, he did not, he didn't look happy either. He was just kind of, he was just kind of pacing back and forth, just like not talking to anybody. So it's cool to be able to see that kind of stuff when uh, being live at the stadium. Absolutely, being live is. Uh quite the experience it's a lot of fun it's it gives you a different kind of perspective gives you more of a much bigger broad perspective than being at home for the game is and you get those little nuances when you're close enough to the field you can kind of get a sense for players what they're doing you know and some mannerisms and stuff like you said with anthony Barr. So that's really cool to kind of get that insight uh, we've heard from deshaun dave our trusty producer how are you how many fingers of whiskey are you drinking tonight i'm not i'm drinking uh 512 IPA local here to Austin, Texas. Um, not whiskey tonight. I may drink it tomorrow night, but not tonight. I am doing okay. I'm still frustrated over yesterday's game, how it ended, how it transpired, how many good things there were, and then how things just disappear. And <clears throat> I can understand Anthony Barr walking off in disgust. I, I literally can. When he when he made that interception, tipped that ball up, grabbed it, I thought, the Vikings have it, they win. And then the offense takes its sweet-ass time, not ready to go back out on the field, and then do nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's just... No, uh, makes me bang my head. Yeah, it's frustrating. And, you know, I was I was hoping for at least one victory this weekend with my Gators going to South Carolina, but they went in. They lost in more embarrassing fashion than the Vikings have uh, since probably that uh, game against the Indianapolis Colts. We lost like 34-7. to seven. Like, it was just a really rough weekend of football for me. But at the end of the day, this Vikings team, we uh, all, we, all we care about is we want a Super Bowl. That's it. We are uh, here to try and give our perspective on how the Vikings can get there. And I think it's fair to say right now that the Vikings are not going to get to the Super Bowl here in 2021, which is a disappointment. But at the end of the day, Minus it's just a kind miracle. of where we're at. Yep. I, I mean, we have seen I mean, the Giants pull an Eli Manning out of their ass, and all of a sudden he just goes off and the defensive line plays like they're God among men. And they end up winning two Super Bowls that way. Uh, right. From that but do you see that with who we have on the field presently? Uh, is uh, Kirk Cousins going to go to the Wizard of Oz and get some courage to throw the ball downfield? No. And I, I, I'm not sure it's courage. I know you used that word earlier today. Um, I think it's... So then what word would you use? I think he's risk-averse. He's very, very Ooh, risk-averse. Actually... I saw something that made a lot of sense on Twitter. It came from a buddy of the network, Luke Braun. The Vikings don't do anything well on offense, so they can't do anything downfield. We are not good at running the football, and it's, like, mind-boggling. Dalvin Cook, I I think the stat was Dalvin Cook had 90 carries, 90 yards on two carries, 13 on his other 19. Right. Like, no. That's insane. The Vikings don't they don't do anything well, so you can't set anything up to do anything. Oh no, like, no, no, no. After no, no. their scripted plays. 
No, the scripted. Just, there's just nothing there. Their scripted plays are brilliant, and you saw on that first drive, the fifty yarder to Jefferson, and then he had more scripted plays that led into the second drive that was successful when we got the field goal. No, but I disagree. I don't disagree that we're not running well. That we are not. We're not running as well as we had in the past, and that may be because Dalvin Cook isn't doesn't seem as explosive or as elusive as before. Um, he's still good. It's just not. And we know Alexander Madison has turned into more of a, a hit one hole, maybe one cut, and that's it. He His vision doesn't seem as good at ha- as it has been in the past. But that's on the running side. On the passing side, when I get almost every week, Kirk Cousins gets in his press conference and goes, well, they went to too high, so I'm not throwing deep. It's like... Oh, come on, people. Too high is part of the cover two system, right? We've been playing too high for decades. Offensive Mm -hmm. coordinators know how to defeat a too high system, but yet plays that defeated aren't being called. And on top of that, one of the things that defeats any defense is outstanding wide receivers that get open, catch contested balls, and get yards after catch. We have two of those. But does he throw to them as much as he should? No. And it's a choice by him. It's not what the play call is. Because as even Clint said in the previous week, we called plays where there's guys deep and they were open. And he chose to check down. This week... I'm sure some of those same plays were called or variations of them where there were guys open deep and he chose not to throw it. I don't see that as, well, the run game isn't working, so we can't play. No, you got to be able to do, if the run game shut down for the night, then switch to the pass game. If the pass game shut down, then rely on the run game. And if you can't do one or the other, Right. If one is shut down and you just go, oh, I'm going to hide my head in my shell like a turtle would do, then you have a defeatist attitude and you will lose. And what have we done this year? Every time that happens, we lose. And it drives me insane. Many rant over. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, you, you touched on a really a uh, couple good points in there. And I think my biggest issue is like it's a it's a trio of reasons why the Vikings are the where they are at, at on offense. Mike Zimmer's overall philosophy, his overarching belief in how he wants to run his offense is from 1995. And it's not successful in today's football. You, you don't you can't. Hold, play to hold the lead anymore you just can't you have to be to a point aggressive and you have to be able to drive the ball downfield and continue to score points the vikings have had i've blown how many double digit leads in the second half this year um we blew i believe we blew one to do we blow one to the cardinals i, I think a, we like did five of them we blew one. I, mean, I think it was <clears throat> i think it was two it was one to the no it was three one to the Lions, one to the Panthers, four. One to the Bengals, one to the Ravens. We didn't hold the yeah. double-digit lead to the Bengals. 
No, no, no. I, it was Cardinals, Cardinals, Panthers, Lions, Ravens. Yep. So that kind of overarching philosophy is, in my opinion, the biggest reason why we are the where where we are at. Second one is Kirk Cousins. He, I don't know what it is. I don't know if he's. I, I call his play cowardly because there are so many opportunities and it was highlighted by that same friend of the network to Sean mentioned earlier, Luke Braun in his article last week for zone coverage against the Cowboys. There were 11 genuine misses where he could have easily made the better throw. And he chose to make the easier throw. A couple of them were still easy throws, but he took the coward approach and he made the check down instead of trying to take a downfield shot or even an intermediate shot. Uh, the third one is Clint Kubiak. Uh, the first few weeks, he was a pretty good play caller. Um, another friend of the network, uh, PFF's Eric Eager, um, had talked extensively on Twitter about how Clint Kubiak, by their metrics over the first three weeks, was the top play caller in the National Football League. Well, ever since then, it has been a complete nosedive failure. Outside of descriptive plays, it has been atrocious. It doesn't feel like there's any kind of creativity. There's not any uh, cohesive flow to how he's calling the game. There's no confidence in the team for how he's calling the game. And after getting a quick lead with those scripted drives early on, the Vikings really didn't do anything until it was desperation time. And they kind of pulled a rabbit out of their ass, which they've done a few times this year. And they deserve a lot of credit for that. But when you kind of combine all three elements, you're looking at a team that is not utilizing its best players, a quarterback that doesn't know how to utilize his own skill set to the best of his advantage. And I think we'd all agree. I think we'd take Kirk Cousins having more than one interception maybe like a four or five number, if it means he was trying to get the ball to Jefferson and Thielen down the field. You are willing to take those negatives because there are going to be more positives than not. And like, just look at Patrick Mahomes over the course of the year. He's throwing seven, eight interceptions a year. This year he's at 10 already because he's trying to make plays down the field. He's trying to get the ball in the hands of Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Nicole Hardman. He's trying to make explosive plays. And does, are we going to ask, Kirk Cousins to be Patrick Mahomes? Absolutely not. But are we gonna also going to ask Kirk Cousins to throw the ball to Justin Jefferson in a 50-50 spot? Absolutely. I think that is a completely fair criticism of the man. And when you combine all these things, um, I just pulled up uh, the EPA uh, yesterday off against uh, the uh, Baltimore Ravens. We were seventh in EPA in the league in week nine with a 0.186. Baltimore had a 0.134. Like, we were ahead of them by two spots uh, yesterday at just in EPA. So we are able to be effective. And obviously, when you have the deep shot touchdown and that long run by Dalvin Cook, you're going to extrapolate that, and it's going to make those numbers inflate a little bit because they're much bigger plays. And then rushing EPA, like, you take that play out, and our score barely above one or – or barely positive, I mean, 0.019 is a lot lower. And the effectiveness of this offense, and it's going to kind of transition into our first main topic that we talked about here pre-show, Cousins are play calling, which is the bigger culprit. And I think you could really genuinely make arguments for both. And I think I kind of laid it out a little bit, um, kind of how I feel about it. Sean, I really want to get your opinion because – We've talked a lot about a general scope, but this is something we have not really discussed yet. Uh, when you break it down, who is more to blame? Kirk Cousins, Clint Kubiak, or e I'll even throw in the wild card of Mike Zarek. 
Um, I, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, so it's definitely kind of both, but I think what happens is when you get two things where one is not able to lean on the other in kind of a time of needs, both look much worse than what they really are. So like you said, Clint could probably be calling the pit place that he should be calling, but Kirk is not executing it. And then when Kirk's not executing, it makes Clint's look bad. And when Clint's bad, Kirk's bad. So it's just, it's not a good mix. And I think that's what it is. There's a disconnect between the play caller and the quarterback, and it's not mixing well. So you seen yesterday when you had, I forget who called plays for the Ravens. I'm not sure if it's Schottenheimer or is it somebody else now? Greg Roman. But uh, Greg Roman. So you saw that some of the plays that he called for Jackson it was just kind of like a go do it kind of thing. Like, here's the trust. I'm calling this. You go do what you need to do. They did it on fourth down a couple of times. So that is not there when it comes to Clint and Cousins. So, I mean, even though Mike Zimmer had Lamar Jackson confused in the first round, in the first in the first half, like Lamar had absolutely no idea what he was looking at when it came to coverage. He was completely confused. He did not know where to go with the football. But come second half, they settled in. Lamar went back to his game, and you let your quarterback, Greg Roman, let his quarterback take over, and he went out and he won the game for him. We can't really do that when it comes to Clint and Cousins because Cousins is kind of relying on the coaching staff to do whatever it is they want to do, and he doesn't really take over in any fashion of anything. So, like, on that last play, our last play of the game, where there was a blitz, an obvious blitz, and, I mean – the center is supposed to make that call, but you have Mason Cole. He's taken his first couple of snaps of the season, and we only dropped back like – I think we dropped back 28 times. So it's his first 20-something pass-blocking snaps of the season. So I don't really blame don't really blame him for not making that adjustment. That's on Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins has to see that blitz coming, and he has to change something, and he just doesn't. And that's where that disconnect is. That's like the perfect example of that disconnect. Clint calls something in, and Cousins is not able to kind of help Clint out. Like, hey, man, you called this play. It's not going to work. Let me fix it for you. That's not there between those two, and that kind of resolves into this three and five record. Like, that's like the epitome of our offense and epitome of our three or five record is that when one is failing, the other one just gets worse. They don't help the other. So there's that relationship is not really working. And I also want to take a time to shout out uh, Skull from Argentina. That's wild. Didn't know Argentina was a real place. That's like South America. Then we got Skull from Australia, land of the giant spiders. What? (laughs) We got somebody down there with giant spiders watching the the Vikings. That's crazy. (laughs) Have you seen the pictures of those spiders? I have. They're terrifying. Like, yes. I don't see how people live among those. <laughs> but, yeah, man, that's, that's what I think of the play calling on the quarterback. And it's, you know, it it sucks that it's like that. And Cousins isn't really – and I think a lot of it has to do with personality. When you get a quarterback like Lamar Jackson who's ready to go out there and do absolutely whatever it is to win, you can go for it on fourth and one from your own twenty-seven. And you can live with that decision. But when you have a guy like Cousins that's not really that personality guy, he's not the guy that's going to really – I mean, I don't want to say do whatever it takes to win because I'm sure Cousins Cousins has put his body on the line a couple of times and he takes a lot of hits. But he's just he doesn't give off that confidence and that, you know, that swagger to go and do it. 
And I just think that's once you get to that point, it's kind of over. You just kind of have to start over. So it's like those two are probably not going to connect on that level during the season. And I think that's what's going to hold the Vikings offense back. I don't see it. Now, there are going to be games when they score 24, 30 some points because they're just that talented. But I don't see them getting to a level where they're able to turn the season around, unfortunately. No, can I address you. Raymond real quickly? You mm-hmm. absolutely can, Dave. Raymond, as you know, I am retired active duty Air Force. I was also Army Reserve prior to that. You talk about leadership and how leadership is taught. Yes, we had schools on leadership and also followership in the Air Force because both are key. However, you say it's the coach's responsibility to teach leadership. That's not always the case when it comes to professional football. These guys are expected to have that. That's why they are professionals. Um, They don't teach it. And you say it's uh, coaches that should. He's had offensive coordinators throughout his history, many of them, some being considered offensive geniuses, um, and it still hasn't come. There are some people with personalities that leadership is hard because they rub people the wrong way. Uh, It was today I was listening and they were telling stories about some of the outstanding top receivers he had in Washington and how even though he had two of the best, he still couldn't get it done. Here we know he's had two of the best, now twice, both with Thielen and with Diggs, and now with Thielen and with Jefferson. And after 10 years, you should be able to learn. Um, If he needs to go to a leadership course and skill, then the league needs to send him there. Will he? Probably not, or the team does, because it's against what the – Players' agreement states, I wish he would. I wish he would do better on that respect. But it's not time for a coach to take him by and teach him elements of leadership on how to be better at it when his time is taken up trying to coach the entire team and try to draw up schemes. That's why they are professionals. This should come Somewhat, especially for the quarterback, naturally. And if you're telling me it's the coach's responsibility, are you telling me that Christian Ponder under, say, um, the greatest coach ever would have been a Super Bowl quarterback? No, he was missing those talent um, pieces. I believe Kirk Cousins is missing that social... um, get along with people type and mental processing pieces. He's got all the physical talents in the world. I don't dispute that. He throws a great ball, but it's those missing things that are holding him back. And it's not because Coach Zimmer doesn't teach him about leadership. He should have that already. Just like... He really should have that already. If you're a senior NCO or a senior officer, you should have that already. But I don't expect that out of a butter bar or a junior enlisted. See the difference? Mm-hmm. 
hundred percent. And yeah, thank you, Dave. And I kind of want to touch on some of the things you said, like you don't have to be an alpha to be a great leader. You know, at the quarterback position, you don't have to be a great leader. You can be a good leader and you can have great leaders surrounding you and you can still do very good things. I think one of the overarching problems for this team that really doesn't get discussed enough is the leadership. Like the wild just basically gutted their entire leadership and replaced them. And now they look to be at contenders for a Stanley cup when they never were with Parisian Suter after those big signings in 2012. And I think the Vikings right now lack leadership. They lack accountability that Zimmer preaches accountability, but he won't take it himself at the podium. He won't take it himself in the media. And it, it has to be something incredibly dire for him to do that. Uh, Kirk Cousins consistently deflects blame. He has a very casual, conservative, reserved personality. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're the quarterback of a football team and you have that personality and you refuse to take any kind of responsibility, along with no true leaders around you, that's a recipe for disaster. And I think we're really seeing it. We had vocal leaders like a few years ago, really led by Everson Griffin. Griffin is a veteran on this team, but I don't really believe he's a leader anymore. He had that year away from the team, and you really don't hear about him being as vocal as he used to be. So I I think that's a big problem. Your quarterback doesn't want to lead. And, and he's the titular part of, the reason- of the offense and should be considered that. And most are taught through peewee on upwards, especially in the high school, that they are expected to do that. And in college. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, Others have said it before me, and others will say it again, but I'm going to reiterate it here. Kirk Cousins feels like a guy who goes Clifford to work 9-5, to five, punches in, and boom. That's it. He punches in and out. And Clifford, you're 100% right. Um, we're all scared JJ's going to be run off, just like Stephon Diggs was. Quang is also right, too. The Vikings really lack a pair of balls. And it starts uh, with the quarterback not willing to drive the ball downfield. It starts with Mike Zimmer not putting enough confidence in his great offensive playmakers to let them strive and thrive. This Look, and I'm going to kind of transition. It's something we didn't really talk about, but we kind of talked about pre-show in our group chat. Like, where are these? where is this Vikings team at right now? Are they just replacing the quarterback and the, the offensive scheme away from really being able to make a Super Bowl run? Or are they a lot closer to the Dolphins and Jets? Like, where, where we're at is a very confusing, really disgusting place. We are in purgatory. We are too good to be actually bad and too bad to be actually good. And until we make a drastic change and take a risk, I think we're going to be stuck there. Deshaun, I know you have a, an opposing view to mine where I believe we're a lot closer to the Dolphins and Jets. And you believe we're a lot closer to a Super Bowl. So I kind of want to hear you out. And here you flesh out your thoughts in more of an audio space rather than a written space because you can really get a lot more across through this medium. So I want to I hear what you have to say. <clears throat> so I think what happens is we, we have deficiencies. I mean, every team does. Um, as you can see, yesterday we saw the Rams just get beat by a Derrick Henry-less Titans. Their deficiencies were on – they were showing. The Vikings aren't – they don't have good enough pieces to cover their deficiencies. 
And I think when you get a play caller and a good quarterback that mesh, you start to cover some of those mistakes and they start to not show up as much. So if the Vikings can do that, I think we're looking at a faster turnaround and I don't think we ever quite get to like that Jets Dolphins area. So like when we say Jets and Dolphins, we're talking like worst of the worst, bottom of the league, two to three wins a year. The Dolphins look awful. The Jets look, the Jets are having a QB battle between like a fourth year quarterback who is, turns out to be pretty fun. Mike White's pretty cool, pretty cool guy. And then we have Zach Wilson, who's been awful when he's been starting. And then on top of that, the Jets don't really have a foundation to build on just yet. They're still trying that. So I don't think the Vikings will ever get that bad. I do think that they'll have to like gut their defense, and their defense is going to fall off a cliff because those those guys are getting old. Smith is gone. Peterson's probably gone after this season. Uh, we have like one year's left on Thomason and Pierce, and who knows if Hunter stays, Griffin's 35. So the defense is going to be gutted, of course. The offense is extremely young, and most of those guys are under contract for the next, like, two to three, four seasons. Dalvin Cook is only 26 years old. Uh, the offensive line, we've we've gotten three solid starters in the last two drafts on the offensive line. Um, the two replacements that we need is a center and a right guard. Those are two things that you can get in, like, the third and the fourth rounds of drafts. Hopefully the new regime that comes in is a little better at evaluating offensive line talent. I think that would be something that they might actually end up focusing on. So when you're really looking at it, you're it's a good year to need to play caller. And I think I tweeted that out before. You have several in OC positions that look like they're ready to take the next step as head coaches. You have Joe Brady. You have DeBall. You have Kellen Moore, who had a bad day yesterday. Uh, DeBall actually had a bad day yesterday, too. Um, you have uh, Biennemi. Uh, maybe, and then uh, I know Tyler. Left I think witch. you threw out uh, which Yeah, so mm-hmm. you have options. It's not like there's slim pickings out there. You have options, and uh, you don't have. Uh, actually, I think I was talking to Eager earlier today on Twitter, and he said I was like overselling what the Vikings have, and I don't think I am at all. You have two book in tackles. Two, Christian Darrisaw is play, He's almost playing like out of his mind right now. Like I don't think we're taking into account that he's a rookie that missed just about all the training camp, started his career against Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, Randy Gregory, Micah Parsons, and um, against Osa, Calais Campbell. He's playing some good guys. These aren't scrubs that he's playing, and now he's about to go up against Joey Bosa. So, I mean, we got two good tackles. We have a left guard that's solid. And then we have Justin Jefferson, who's capable of being one of the best wide receivers in the world. We have a veteran, Adam Thielen. And then we have KJ Osborne, who gives you kind of that bridge two, maybe that three. And you can find a wide, wide receiver too, easy. You have Dalvin Cook, who's an explosive runner. You have Kine Nwangu, who's kind of like your gadget guy if they decide to use him in that way. this You'd be hard-pressed to find a job opening that's better than this one. The only ones I can think about uh, I think I put this I put this out there too. The only ones I can really think about is that the Raiders are gonna need I need a new one, but the Raiders organization is a mess and I have no clue who will want to be there. The Bears are I think the Bears are stinking it up right now against the Steelers. I haven't the last time I looked, Justin Fields threw a pick to a defensive lineman. Then <laughs> you have like mm-hmm. there's just there's not much out there. So the Vikings are kind of like the cream of a of the crop this offseason when you look at guys who are looking to put their name out there. You get a good foundation. You go in there, you ask for your promise to find your guy at quarterback. 
Like, let me take over. Let me find that guy. And then, and then you're set. You're not looking for anything else on offense. I mean, you're looking to replace two interior player, players, and then you're just utilizing the guys that are already there. And they're going to be happy about that. Guys are going to buy in so quick. I mean, they've been under Zimmer for so long. They get an offensive guy in the building, they're going to buy in right away. You tell Jeff and Jefferson you're going to throw in the ball 10, 10 times, he's going to be he's going to be great about it. Adam Thielen, you see how these guys are reacting to these questions in the interviews. Adam Thielen say, I'm tired of talking about it. It's dumb. I don't want to talk about it anymore. He's tired of it. He's ready for change. So you get that system in there. And then obviously I say, bring in your next quarterback. That's the hardest part. Obviously not easy. Uh, Like Tyler said in the pre-show, unfortunately this time around, not a great QB class bad time in the need a QB you have Kellen Munn if you want to try to build something there and then shoot and then maybe build your defense and then shoot again next offseason because you're probably going to have a few comp comp picks from the guys that are that are leaving that are actually playing pretty well the Vikings are set up pretty nice and and don't even mention like we had like a crazy defensive game yesterday from our rookies from 2018 to 2020 that were drafted. I mean, Cam Bynum just dove across the field in his first game and just picked off Lamar Jackson. We have Armand Watts, who's out here. Uh, I think he has like double digit pressures and like a couple sacks since filling in from for Pierce. Kenny Willikies went out there and did something good. Uh, Cam Dancer was actually doing pretty okay. Chris Boyd got works man oh my god <laughs> i it hurt seeing that oh man it hurt seeing that because i i love chris boy he's such a personality he's good for the team but man he got on the field and got worked by marquise brown it was bad and then he like messed up i think he i think he it was he was at fault for both touchdowns where i think he was supposed to be covering the flat and he just didn't so i mean the defense has pieces and you just need a few more star players they are in position to make a quick turnaround. They are far from the Jets. They are far from the Dolphins. The Dolphins, maybe if they get Watson, they make a quick turnaround. But if none, of, if they don't upgrade really at their quarterback position, you're looking at the Jets and the Dolphins being three to four, maybe five seasons away. The Vikings are not at that position just yet. Now, it can get there. If you get a play caller and say, so say you get a play caller and then you stay with Kellen Munn, and it doesn't work out, you just faceplant, then we're looking at the, like, we really need to burn this all down and start over because we tried it again and it didn't work out. Then you're looking at them being the Dolphins and the, the Jets. But I'm a little bit of an optimist. I don't see that happening. I see, like, you give Kellamon, you develop him properly and give him an actual offense with good weapons, a good offensive line, and a good play caller. I think he can come out and be okay. And if he's not okay... The next season, you can literally just reload and go get your guy because now you're working with four, five, six draft picks. You could dump your entire draft into getting into that position to draft your guy. So the Vikings have options. That's the best part about it. They have options. They have pieces in place to go and not be that worst team in the NFL. However, what you're missing, and I agree with Dan here, Chris Boyd is a special teams guy, and he's decent at special teams. But what you're missing is, when all that goes away, yes, we have offensive talent that makes this team extremely attractive. Um, but what you miss is half the defense will be, will be going with it as well. Um, 
most of your older guys will leave and they will retire. And all that built-in institutional knowledge that they have will go out the door. And I've seen it when the Vikings have had bad defenses, and it's not pretty. Unless you get, like, in the late 90s where it was screw it, we'll score more than you will. Um, It's hard to put up with. It gets hard. You have to, in a head coaching quest, right, to find a new head coach, I agree. An offensive-minded one helps the offense. I think it's natural um, that he will because he comes from an offensive background. He's going to. Plus, he's going to have a new OC. But you, the key will be to find the guy who can find the complementary pieces that work well with him and know their stuff because he will have to select a new DC and have that individual be smart enough to retain some of our vets that could be retained that are worth retaining and the other ones that aren't, let them walk. Um, But to continue to build on that side as well um, because you're going to need it. Say everybody, say we blow it up this year, right? And Zimmer and Spielman are gone. Boom, right? You... And I think both should go for the mere fact that whoever's picking the next coach should be a new guy. Um, I'd hate to see Zimmer do it. Or not Zimmer, but Spielman do it. Spielman pick Zimmer. Um, So new GM picks OC of choice. Like, I I love what I'm seeing with Lefwich, right? Say so Lefwich comes in as our new head coach. Lefwich now has to select an OC. He needs... That'll work with him. And he also has to select a DC. More importantly, it's his choice of defensive coordinator because he's got the offense, right? The OC can be be a Clint Kubiak type who's young and raw and can be tutored and left which can call plays or whatever, whatever it takes, right? That side's covered, right? And you have all the tools and it's all nice and glory, except for a quarterback position, you're good there. But you need a DC to come in and say, hey, this is how we're going to do the defense. And if we switch to, say, a 3-4, um, what are you going to do with Daniil Hunter? Um, if we stay at a 4-3 or the heavy, like teams are liking to run now because it helps defeat the RPO, um, who, who's your guy? Who's that going to be? That Those things are going to be key when we get to that point when people start losing their jobs. Um, and I don't suspect it. I'm agreeing with everybody else. So probably towards the end of the season, unless we get blown out by the Packers, that's the only early chance I see. Because either way, the Wolves are paying for Zimmer and they're paying for Spielman no matter what. Um the only way they get out of their contracts is for uh, if they violate some sort of deal, right? If they um, can fire for cause outside right. of performance. So um, it's it's not as easy as it looks. Yes, the offense looks pretty going in. We've got a lot of talent still spread out. I wish it was utilized more this season. Oh, God, do I wish I could. I'd, I'd love to be on the headset with those guys. And uh, 
But it's it's going to be, it's not all roses. It doesn't come up that way. Just because it looks prettier and greener on the other side doesn't necessarily mean it is. And it's real easy to go down the route of we're now the Detroit Lions for the next decade. And I don't want that. I've seen that before. I don't want it again. Um, But we've got to be able, we'll get towards as the season rolls on and things go south, um, unless they, we have that miracle deal. We'll get to when we start seriously looking at coaches, but that'll be towards the end of the season. It's, it's not quite as pretty or as nice as it seems. It never is. And we don't have that sort of luck. We're a Minnesota team. Yeah, definitely. A lot has to go right, for sure. A lot has to go right. But I, I think you just really what you have to focus on is, is the, the flexibility that the franchise will have. Um, I'm all in favor. I think, I think the biggest hump as of right now is you kind of, you settled on Kirk Cousins not being the guy. It's how do you deal with this contract? That's the biggest decision. And that will guide all your decisions from there. Do you just sit on his contract for another year? Do you find a way to dump him? Do you just outright cut him and deal with the loss and get him on the snaps? That's the, like the number one biggest decision is the easiest answer. Right. Yeah. Try to do something. Um, but the thing is, Even after that, pay for after, right, right, right. And I think that's probably what they're going to have to end up doing is paying for part of his contract to get him moved. But after that's over, you now get something that you haven't had in three to four years. You now have this balloon in cap space where you can now start to make moves and decisions to help facilitate the other side of the football. And that, and that's what you get when you have that flexibility and you have this foundation on offense because now we have a lot of players on offense that don't need contracts for another two to three seasons. We have a lot of players. So now you can bring in contracts on the defensive side to build. And now we're not looking to have a Mike Zimmer defense anymore. That's not that's probably not the way someone's going to want to build the defense. You're going to have draft picks. You're going to have cat space to, to come in and build a defense equivalent to, I would say, what, the 19 Chiefs? I mean, with that year, they brought in Frank Clark. They brought in, I think they brought in Tyron Matthew that year, maybe. They brought in, I think, another corner, and they brought in, like, a linebacker. They just brought in, they brought in players to lift your floor so your defense never is, like, awful the way the Chiefs are now, now that they lost, like, all their free agents. So that's what you're looking to do. You're not looking to be elite anymore. You're now looking to be that level-headed, middle-of-the-pack defense that's going to hold teams to not score as much as you, but not going to like physically dominate teams. And I think that's something that can be achieved. Not, I don't want to say easily, but something that can be achieved with the way that we have drafted. I mean, Dancer looked better. We still need cornerbacks, unfortunately, because our, our last two first-rounders just don't didn't pan out, unfortunately. So we need cornerbacks again. But uh, if Hunter stays around, if Omar Watts c- continues to do better, we still have Jones. We have Robinson. Of course, unknown guys. You'll need more, but it's there for you to get to that mid-level defense, which is what you're aiming for. Now, I do agree. There's going to be a point in time where the the defense is going to be awful. They're just going to be downright bad. They're going to be last year bad. Like It's going to be bad. But... Once Cousins' contract is off the books and you've made a decision at QB, you have all the flexibility in the world to fix your problems 
And that is where, and I think that's where that team's going to be. And I think that's why they're going to have that opportunity for a quick turnaround. But I do agree. A lot of things have to go right. It's not super realistic. I think, I mean, it's the NFL. I'm calling for change, but I'm just saying there's a lot of people saying, let's change. It will be better. That is what I'm warning people of. That isn't necessarily true. Um, right. It's not going to be like, yeah, it's not going to be like right away. It's not going to be like as soon as we change, like we're automatically back into Super Bowl playoff contention. I do think it's going to take a year or so. I mean, the guys have to mesh. You have to draw up an entire new playbook. They have to, they're probably going to do away with the entire offensive system and start from scratch. I have one so, question for the viewers, though. As we're talking, Zim's overstayed his weapon, right? He's old. He's all this. What if, by miracle's chance, we make it to the Super Bowl? You still want to fire him? I, you, I mean, you have to, man. It's it's to that point. It's to that point where, and I think if we make it to the Super Bowl, it's like dumb luck. It's really, but I mean, hey, we've so Zimmer would be the, the only Super Bowl ever ever coach <laughs> fired after making it to the Super Bowl. You got to think about it. The I mean, two the the. The Ravens and the Cardinals are two teams that are probably somewhere high in the odds to make it to the Super Bowl. We lost to both of those teams by a combination of six points, and we even led on both of those teams. So I'm not, I mean, I don't think we get anywhere close. I don't even think we make the playoffs because we were going to get like swept by the Packers when I, I'm like gearing myself up for that. Like, I don't care how bad this team is. I just want us to beat Packer week, and it is not looking like that right now. But well, we've done man, if Zimmer did that this whole time here. But uh, if uh, if Zen made it to the Super Bowl, that'd be an interesting conversation. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying mathematically it's possible. Yeah. And I think if Zimmer makes it to the Super Bowl, you're going to have to ask yourself, why did this team make it to the Super Bowl? Was it because of Zimmer or was it in spite of him? And that's that's how you're going to kind of come to the decision on whether you let go of him because – there is some they precedent won't. of if letting go. If he makes go, it to the he's... Super Bowl, they won't let him go. That never. No, they that won't. Has but, never happened. But I mean, they did. There has been a starting quarterback from a Super Bowl winner that was let go the next season. It was Trent Dilfer from the 2000 Baltimore Ravens. Right. Kind of a different situation, but at the same time, maybe then you can convince a team to trade for him, like like Las Dallas Vegas Raiders. They're bad with first round picks, anyways. Give us one of them. So. Um, I, I, I'm i not going to lie. I think Deshaun, you make some good points. But I think the, the one overarching thing with your uh, process that I, f- I find concerning is um, a lot of things have to go right. And when you kind of look at the NFL in general, you, ha- you can't expect a lot of things to go right. Uh, just look at the Kansas City Chiefs. They have Patrick Mahomes who can cover literally every single hole. But he has struggled the first nine games of the year, throwing, I think it was, 12 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. Patrick Mahomes has not had a great start to the season. That team has been struggling. And it's Patrick Mahomes' responsibility as starting quarterback, as the $50 million man, to cover kind of those holes. They've had some really rough misses on defense. Frank Clark was a miss. Um, Anthony Hitchens, that linebacker you mentioned, was a miss. Matha was a massive, massive, massive hit. Uh, Bashad Breland had an okay season for them before he came over here. Um, they, 
they take these shots and they don't work. Plus, they've had really poor draft classes. And now you're really starting to see that Patrick Mahomes cannot be the sole prop that holds this team up. And I think when you kind of make that comparison to what the Minnesota Vikings are right now and the conversation that you had with Eric over Twitter, I think we are closer to the Dolphins and Jets. We are not the Dolphins and Jets, but I think we're closer. And the reason why is by the time you get to 2023 and you're starting to pick that quarterback, assuming you go with Mond in 2022 and he turns out to not be the guy, which personally I believe right now is the case, and I hope to be proven wrong. But when you go through that, and all of a sudden, Justin Jefferson now needs a contract extension. You just wasted his rookie deal. Adam Thielen's now 34 years old, and you got to really consider moving on from him because he's making $16 million a season. You have Daniil Hunter, who we really can't count on anymore to be healthy at this point after a neck and a torn pectoral, like two upper body injuries like that. It's going to be really hard to expect him to be the player he was. Now, he did it once. Can he do it again? Absolutely, but we can't count on it. Eric Hendricks is going to be 32. Anthony Barr is going to be 32. Harrison Smith is going to be 34. Like, we're talking about some alarming ages from your key core centerpieces and just on offense and defense. Dalvin Cook is, a, is about to exit his prime at running back. Even though he's only 26 years old, you have driven him into the ground. Florida State drove him into the ground. And when you look at all of these factors – you have to expect all of them to hit in order to take that next step and go to the Super Bowl. We really can't assume that that's going to be the case. And you're not only that, but you're wasting prime. You're wasting these guys' primes by having these struggles when Kirk Cousins was supposed to be the catalyst to bring you to the next level, that missing piece to piece together what that 2017 team was. It hasn't worked. You take that shot 100 out of 100 because it makes a lot of sense. You get an upgraded quarterback, and boom, you have an opportunity to go to that next level. It didn't work. Then you extended him. Big mistake because now we're sitting in that same spot. We could have gutted out 2020 and not signed Michael Pierce. And then, hey, look, five quarterbacks starting caliber in the National Football League. We could have taken one. We were in position to move up and take one. But the massive miscalculations by this regime to think their Super Bowl window is open when it honestly is not. And then we're wasting the primes of those players who could have been Super Bowl catalysts for that second run. We're in a position where by the time we're going to be at that second run in 2023, they're going to be out of their prime. They're going to be too expensive. And all of a sudden, we're back to square one. And that's why I think we're closer to being the bottom of the NFL than we are at the top because we're going to be wasting the prime of those guys. And then you're going to have to pay Justin Jefferson. Well, what about Irv Smith Jr. if he balls on next year? you got to pay him too. Tyler Conklin's probably not going to be on this team next year because he's going to get a mid-range contract from a team that's going to be willing to pay him five, $6 million a year to be a starting tight end or a tight end too and say a Kyle Shanahan system. Maybe he goes to the New York Jets. They need a quality tight end. He's played in that same scheme. He would be able to transition really well and be an asset for Zach Wilson. So then all of a sudden you have to replace all these guys and you have to replace the most important part of your team, the quarterback. And as you mentioned earlier, this quarterback class is a bunch of okay guys, guys who have massive issues or red flags. They're going to expect to step in, and you need them to win right away. Like, this isn't Ben Roethlisberger in 2004 stepping into a great Steelers team where you can really take that next step. Like, I just think that this team needs to be stripped down to the studs, and you don't have to do much on offense, and that's a massive, massive benefit. But if you miss on the quarterback and the head coach, you're looking at being 
like a, a one to three year stretch of what the New York Jets are. And that's very frustrating and concerning. I don't think the Dolphins are as bad as what their record is because last year they were 10 and six and they missed the playoffs by a tiebreaker. Two is not the problem. The coaching and the offensive line is just gross. But we still haven't really fixed the offensive line despite putting massive assets into it. You can say the same thing for the quarterback position. Edge is still a problem, even though we keep throwing picks at it because we refuse to spend top 70 capital on an edge rusher. And this is going to be the year to double dip at edge in the first couple rounds because it is stacked. You could have three guys go top 10. You could have six, seven, eight guys go first round. A bunch more go in the second. This edge class is disgustingly loaded. And the way this regime has tried to build the team has really screwed us because, as you said, Deshaun, a lot of things need to hit. The way they built this team hasn't hit on multiple levels. And I think that is my biggest reason. And you know what? How dare you? Biggest reason you want to spiel me gone, the QB failure. It hasn't been from lack of effort, but you're right. The results have just not been there. And I we need we need change. Change is going to be the biggest thing to try and get to that next level. Because you know what? We can talk about, hey, let's, let's do this and we can try and get there. Then we can try this and try and get there. But at the end of the day, if you're not trying to actually cultivate real change, how can you expect the same or, or excuse me, different results? And in the political aspect, in the cultural aspect, you can't keep trying the same things and expect different results. Politicians can't just keep raising the debt ceiling and expect debt to go away. That's not how that works. And if we keep doing the same kind of concept where we keep throwing assets at different places without getting any different results, we're we're just going to be stuck in purgatory. And You're trying to I fix would rather, the wrong things. Yeah, I would rather take the shot at stripping it down to the studs and building it back up than just trying to patch up the house. Because right now there's just we're trying to patch up a house from 1912 that really foundationally is just not sound. But let's take the risk. If we're bad for a couple years, cool. We were bad for a couple years. Everybody remembers 2011, 2013, like uh, 2005, 2006. We've, we've known bad teams in our lifetime. We also uh-huh. saw Denny Green but in his own version of purgatory. Like, right, and then Mike but Zimmer's it was Denny Green that got us out of a decade of suck after the Herschel Walker <clears throat> trade. He absolutely did. But at the same time, Mike Zimmer deserves a lot of credit for getting us out of that next wave of suck. suck. Once Brad yes. Childress. Zimmer was great for a while. He was a fantastic hire. He was the right hire. Now it's time to move on. And you have to take a shot. Because you've see, got we to be a team. Um This will be appreciated. Yeah. One of my favorite officers of all time was my colonel during Desert Storm. Hank Taylor. Colonel Hank Taylor. Lieutenant Colonel, he was in charge of maintenance. The man was brilliant. An absolute mm-hmm. people person, and he knew his stuff bigger than all get out. Colonel Taylor would say, you need to be constantly improving your position." Right, And it was his philosophy he lived by. And and how we approached in the run-up, we were in Desert Shield and Desert Storm and built up, and I was 
a relatively young NCO at the time, how it worked and we built up so we didn't show our enemy what we were doing, but we were getting ready. It worked and we constantly, little by little, made things better. We improved our position. That is something, a philosophy that I wish the team would take. I think they would profess, yeah, of course we do that, David. Well, no, not necessarily. You aren't. That's not what we're seeing. You've got to take that approach of get any extraneous things that don't work, get rid of them, and constantly improve on everything else. Once you do that, um, this team will succeed. It's uh, <clears throat> They've got to get in that mindset, and I don't see that mindset per se. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that's off track, but it's just... It is what it is. And for those of you who want to know, Colonel Taylor went on to become a major general. Uh, when he was promoted to brigadier general, he was the one that stood up B-2s in Whiteman, Missouri. He was that good of a man, and I'd follow him anywhere to this day talking about leadership. Um, and that inspires that constant improvement, that strive for improvement, and that self-evaluation is shit can what isn't working. Um is a system that works. It works at all times. It's throughout history. Um, And I think if the Vikings take that approach, we will be successful. That's what I'm hoping for with change for everybody to not be afraid of change, but to look forward to it. Yes, Dan, Desert Storm was 30 years ago, but I was also in Iraq and Afghanistan, helped close both those places down, so I'm not quite that old. I just have tons of experience. I did uh, over grand total 30 plus years serving. So, mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, from us and everybody in the chat, Dave, especially as we approach Veterans Day, we're grateful for you and your service and everything that you've Thanks. done to try and make this country a better place. Um, in, in the meantime, I think that this has been a fantastic discussion tonight. As we continue to move forward, I think we are going to expand even more on the future of this team. And if things go south even faster, I think we're going to start doing mock draft Mondays a little bit earlier um, than maybe anticipated. Because last year we really started in the beginning of January. If we end up being like a three and eight football team, that might start at the end of the month. So but we will con- we will continue to update you guys the direction of the show because it will transition to that at some point. Um Gentlemen, as we kind of transition uh, to the end of the show here, because we have gone just over an hour, do we have any final thoughts uh, about this team, about the direction, about kind of where we're at right now before we kind of mail it in for the evening? Deshaun doesn't. I do. I have one question for you, Tyler. You mentioned edges were fat. What other positions are fat? Um, wide receiver, cornerback, cornerback is very good at the top. Uh, you have, uh, Derek Stingley Jr., Andrew Booth Jr., Sauce Gardner, Kyer Elam, um, all guys who should go top 15. There might be one that, or two that slide just out of the top 15. Uh, Roger McCreary is, uh, really good as well. There are a couple other guys who could sneak up in there. Um, offensive line is okay. Uh, quarterback is... Well, you're not to need... 
The what? So it's good you're not to need one. I definitely need a guy named yeah. Sauce Gardner on my team, though. For sure. Yeah. So- the memes Sauce are endless. Is, oh, my gosh. Sauce Gardner just it spews confidence. And when you're a cornerback, you desperately need it. Uh, linebacker has a, a couple guys, but there's really no top uh, end quality. Devin Lloyd is probably the best of the bunch. And he may go top 15. He may not. Um, but running back has like four or five guys that could go round two, round three, but that's it. Tight end has no alphas, a bunch of guys who could be pretty good still. Um, but this is the year to need edge. This is the year to want to cultivate edge. If you have the ability, draft multiple high. You know, Just throw assets at it because you're going to be able to get some really damn good football players. Perfect. Well, gentlemen, great show as always. Everybody in the comments, you guys have been killing it all night. Quang, we kind of understand your Fire Mike Zimmer comment right there. We're we're pretty much in that boat right now that something needs to change. We'll kind of see when that happens. My thoughts are going to be that they're not going to happen until after the season unless he does something insubordinate uh, because that's just not how the Wilfs run their business. Right. But at the end of the day, we love this football team and all we want is a damn Super Bowl. That's all we want. That's why we talk how we do. We give our honest, unfiltered opinions. Uh, hey, you know what? I Atheist for the cause, we appreciate you as a Packers fan joining us and, and listening to the show because at the end of the day, we're all passionate football fans, and we just want to see our squads win the Super Bowl. So, Bart We Dave, enjoyed your loss yesterday, too. Yes, we did. Uh, Duran Love looks awful. I love it. <laughs> he looks terrible. Uh, this going to be a great hey, next okay. 10 seasons. His mom and, and her girlfriend had tickets. They were sitting at the very top row of the upper deck. It felt like they were staying in old school WCW sitting in the rafters. It was it was hilarious. But as, Very Aaron Rodgers-like of them. Very much so. Uh, from Dave, from Deshaun, I am Tyler, where we keep your Mondays purple here every day. And once again, stole everybody. Go! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And if you're listening on your favorite aggregator, make sure you rate us. And always feel free to join the conversation here at Climbing the Pipe.